chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We'll read them. They'll be up on the screen for you. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. I'm going to pray real quick, and uh, we'll jump into this text. We'll have a good time. Father, we love you. We, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we're able to come and, and gather with our local body of believers here. And we thank you that we have the Bible uh, that we can sit here and, and gleam from for the next uh, three hours or so. And Father, we thank you for getting us all here safely. And we pray that you get us all home safe in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close this thing out, uh, one of the, as I read through this, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it a couple times over, and I was, I was trying to figure out, like, what's the, what is Paul's key theme here? Like, what's, what's Paul really getting after as he closes out this letter to the Thessalonians? And it's the second and last letter, the second, yeah, the second and last letter that, that Paul wrote to them. And I'm like, okay, what's he, you know, what is he trying to hit home uh, what, is he, what is he prioritizing in this as he summarizes the end of the letter? And so as I thought about it, I was like, you know, I really think that, uh, for me at least, and this is something that I've been big on recently, but I think Paul's really trying to hit on posture. Um, and if you don't know what posture is, it's basically more or less your attitude or your, your position towards something. Um, and so what Paul is kind of going after here is he's you know, he's, and I'll, I'll show you my hand just a little bit here, but he's, he's going after our, our postures towards the spiritual, our posture towards, um, you know, towards our brothers, our posture towards really everything in the church realm, and we'll, we'll dive into that. But as we get started, I just want you to keep that thought in the back of your mind that what Paul is really getting after here is he wants to, he wants to contribute to how you think about things. He wants to contribute to your default mindset when you're looking at something or when you're dealing with someone. And so as we walk through this, understand that this is, you know, for Paul, it was, I mean, this is like the capstone to the capstone letter uh, to the Thessalonians. So everything that's in here, and this is dense. I mean, it's a very short chapter if you read it, uh, but it's very dense. It's very full. Uh, so as we, as we dive into this, understand that he's packing as much as he can that's into this to, to distill and to summarize everything that he's told them thus far. So this is like, I mean, if you like skipped to the end of the book, like this would give you so much goodness. I would encourage you to read the whole letter, but if you skip to the end, this is, uh, this is very meaty. So as we go in, so we read the first five verses. So, so what, is, what is Paul's goal? What is Paul's goal? And as we talked about, I think his goal is for, he wants to steer us towards healthy postures. And so the first thing that I would like to focus on is our, our posture towards the spiritual. And I think, you know, it's no coincidence that that's the first thing that Paul brings up, um, but that's, you know, that's where his priorities are at first. So if spirituality is a priority to us, what is that, like, what does that look like? Like, what are the, what should our posture be towards these things, and what are these things um, that we should be prioritizing and kind of gearing our mindset towards? So, So, what made Paul's spiritual priority list? The first thing was that the word of the Lord, the gospel, will spread rapidly and be glorified. Now, if you read that, the word of the Lord, obviously, is the gospel. 
And the fact that it would be glorified, he, his desire is for it to be embraced by those who are receiving it. And so Paul's top tier, top echelon, number one priority is like, hey, listen, pray for us because I want the gospel to spread. And when it spreads, I want it to really sink in and I want it to do its thing. That was, that was Paul's top priority. And it's right out of the gate, first verse, he's like, listen, we just want the word to spread. Now, here's, and here's something that I thought was interesting and you may agree um, but Paul makes an, an interesting statement following, following that. He says, just as it did with you. He says that the gospel would spread and be glorified or embraced just as it did with you, church at Thessalonica. And what I thought of when I read that was Paul's, Paul's philosophy, Paul's thought process when looking at this thing was that what happened here, what happened to Thessalonica, your home church, needs to happen everywhere that's where we're going with it. What happened here needs to happen everywhere else. And as we think about, as we, as we begin our conversation about these different postures and these different things that, that Paul was concerned about, at the forefront of our mind, we should be thinking all the time, listen, what happens in here, what the Lord did here, needs to happen everywhere else. Needs to happen in every community. Needs to happen in every single heart. That's, and this is just the beginning. This is just the forefront of Paul's message here. So he makes, a, he makes a point right out of the gate, like, listen, what happens here, it needs to go everywhere. What's it, what happens at Thessalonica, he's like, I get that you guys got your thing going on, and you guys got a good community, and you sing some good songs, and your preacher's pretty good, but, but the priority beyond all of those things working well is that this happens everywhere. And as a church, and I think Pastor Matt does a good job at this, but as a church, our priority should be sending out, planning other churches, taking the gospel to other communities. That should be our focus. And it was for Paul. And so, as we go down this list, so the next verse here, if you guys, um, if you guys want to read that, if you got it there, Paul asks that they would pray that he would be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So at a first glance, you read this and you're like, okay, that's, that's you know, if you've read Paul's story, you're like, okay, so the guy, he got beat a lot. Uh, he was always arrested. He was shipwrecked. Like he was, Paul was, um, to say he was treated poorly was, would be an understatement. Um, and so naturally you would, it, it, it just makes sense that he's like, oh, okay, Paul wants us to pray that he doesn't get thrown in jail again or that he doesn't get beaten unjustly again or he doesn't get, you know, beaten and thrown for dead outside of the city. Got it. Makes sense, Paul. We got you. But, but here's something that I noticed that was, that was interesting. Now, okay, do I have any Star Wars fans in the room? Yes? Okay. So when I say, so if I were to say to you, Star Wars fans, and I'm sure there's more than raised their hand because I'd be ashamed to. Um, just kidding. I love Star Wars. My wife knows every Friday I'm like, babe, look, I know you may want to watch whatever you want to watch, but The Mandalorian's on today. That's what we're watching every week. That's my posture towards television, Mandalorian, every time, every Friday. But Star Wars fans, if I were to say to you, like, raise your hands one more time. Okay, Kurt, if I was like, hey, Kurt, man, hey, this is the way. Your, your mind is just like, whew, like this whole universe just opened. Yes, yes, thank you, Broccoli Rob in the back. He like opened the door, raised his hand, like me too. Um, but, but we get pop culture references because that's what we're immersed in. And Star Wars just happens to be my favorite thing. So I get it. You guys get it. We're good. And if you don't get it, 
please watch The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I'll give you my login. Um, <laughs> but not too many of you, because then I won't be able to watch. Um, so, but, but when I make a reference like that, I can say those words, and you immediately know what I'm talking about without me saying, you, you needed no context, you don't, you don't need me to say like, hey, remember this when he, no. You, you already know. And so when we read New Testament letters, they're written in Greek. And so what Paul is doing here is he drops a line from the Septuagint. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, the Septuagint is just a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so what, what you'll see a lot of times, so when, when people who wrote New Testament material, they pay a scribe a bunch of money, and they have to cram as much information as possible onto either a clay tablet or a piece of papyri. It was very expensive. And so what they did was when they wrote these things, they put in buzzwords or phrases that would, they speak a volume to you with just, just two words or two, you know, or, or one, one word even. Um, but that, that's what Paul is doing. He's, and, you know, it's in the Greek somewhere. This is the way. It's what Paul was saying. Um, but... But what he does is he drops a Greek line, and I won't pronounce it because I'm not a Greek guy. If it was Hebrew, I could pronounce it, but I'm not, I'm not going to butcher that. Um, so he drops a Greek line from the Septuagint. And what that does is when he says, would be rescued from perverse and evil men, that comes from Isaiah 25.4. So Paul is inadvertent, not inadvertently, he's doing it intentionally, but he, he's quoting the Old Testament when he's writing this. And so... Isaiah 25.4 in the Septuagint reads like this. For you have become a helper for every low city and a shelter for those who are disheartened because of need. You will rescue from them from evil people, a shelter for the thirsty and a breath for the mistreated. So you're like, oh, okay, cool. That, that, that's pretty cool that, that Paul is Paul's dropping a, you know, a little breadcrumb trail in there for his readers. And we don't pick that up because we're not, we're not his first century audience. So it's, it's not something that you just, we don't just get it. But if I had to translate the Bible, I would put in modern buzzwords like, this is the way. Um, and Jesus is the way, by the way. I've been looking for a good time to drop that one. That's good. Um, but, but Paul drops this in here, and you're like, okay, I get that. That's a cool passage about God being a shelter. And there's a couple things that we can get from that that are super practical. Paul, as the apostle, it's very obvious that his faith was in Jesus. Can we all agree on that? There's a lot of things people disagree about with Paul's writings, whether or not he wrote them even. But one thing that is for certain is that Paul placed his faith in Jesus. But what you can tell by, why, by the way he's writing this is that his hope was not found in some arbitrary thought that he had. Like, yeah, he had his faith in Jesus, but guess what? Paul knew the scriptures. Paul was familiar with his Hebrew and his Greek Old Testament, and when he's, when he's asking for, for prayer from, whoop, I smacked the mic, sorry. Um, by the way, I'm grateful that I don't have a, you know, a, a holdable microphone, whatever, however they are, a handheld, um, because it slowly just kind of drifts this way, and then, you, yeah, it's no good, and so I'm grateful for this thing, this little pop star headset. Um, I like it. I may take it home. Um, just kidding. Uh, kind of. But, <laughs> where was I going with that? But anyway, so when Paul makes this quotation, like, as he's asking for prayer from the Thessalonians, because that's what his opening thought is. He's like, pray for us that we would fill in the blank. And we'll dig into that a little bit. But it's just, scripture is pouring out of him, right? And Paul, Paul, it's, it's very evident that his hope is not found in, 
and something arbitrary, right? Paul, Paul, yes, his faith is in Jesus, but his faith is strengthened by his knowledge of the scriptures. And it, look, listen, if we, as we sit here today, we have more access to the Bible than any generation prior. And as I said in the first hour, when, you know, the audience that Paul is writing to, when they would gather in their, uh, their synagogues or their just commun- community gathering places, they would, they would be lucky to have a Bible uh, at all. And, or maybe they had a, you know, a book or a page that would circulate and they would read it to their congregation. But, man, they, they ate that stuff up and they committed it to memory. Scripture itself was passed down through oral tradition through the, you know, through the, the Hebrews. And so Paul, Paul emphasizes this, knowing full well that the, the access they have to literature is just it's very scarce. And as we sit here today, and I work, let's see, what teenagers do I have in the back? Nobody that I can call out. Okay, cool. As I sit here today, there's a, you know, every time, what do I tell you guys to do all the time? Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me, what do I tell you to do all the time? Oh my goodness, I'm failing. I tell them all the time, like, listen, y'all need to pick up a Bible and read it. Like, any Bible, I don't care, and they're like, oh, I don't have time, you know. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't have one, you know. But... The fact of the matter is, for the, for the 21st century church, I love you guys. I'm, not, I'm just picking on the group of you collectively. Please come to camp. Um, <laughs> um, but but we, we're so, like, you know, when we talk about, like, reading our Bible, like, if Paul had a, a paperback or, a, you know, a leather-bound copy of the Bible like we have, he would lose his mind. And then we'd be like, well, wait a second, Paul. Guess what? There's this app that's free, and it'll literally read it to you for hours. It's great. And he would be like, and y'all don't read that? Y'all don't, y'all, like, you don't think that it's a luxury to have just this app that reads you the Bible? Or, you know, like, like we don't take advantage of Scripture like we should. And as we, and I say this, you know, from the perspective of somebody who does not take advantage of all the resources at his disposal. Like, I'm, you're not alone if you don't take advantage of Scripture, because I'm there with you. But, um, man, but, here, but here's the thing. Like, if we, when we struggle, when we're going through something, and I know, I know there's a lot of heavy hearts in the room this morning, but when we're, when we're moving through life, and life does what it does in 2020, and we all know what life does in 2020, you know, it, things get discouraging. Things get disheartening. And if there's anything Paul knew, it was that life was discouraging at times. But his hope was not found in who he elected for Caesar. His hope was not found in, in, in anything other than Jesus, and his hope in Jesus was strengthened by his knowledge of Scripture. None of that's really in my notes, but I just felt like that was good. Um, but, but know the Scriptures. And so the second thing here as we dig in, and this is all introduction, by the way. Just kidding. Uh, we're moving through. We're doing good. 11.54 on the clock. We're not doing good. Okay. <laughs> cool. But, but this verse is seated in, the, in a chapter that's all about, um, so Paul makes this reference, and like, yes, we get that. Paul knew his scriptures. He found hope in his scriptures. But, but this passage in Isaiah 25 is seated in a passage that's all about the reigning messianic king, that's all about when God returns to earth, and he sets up his kingdom, and death is eradicated. Like, Paul... Paul is, is, like, he is, like, you, you, you could see it playing out. Like, when Paul drops this line for the first century reader, they would have been like, oh, my goodness, Paul, that's a breath of fresh air. Like, that's, that's so good, Paul. 
And what happens is it, it shows us that Paul's application of this passage in his own context shows exactly what he thinks he's a part of. Paul thinks that he's spreading the message of the Messianic king of the Hebrew Bible, and he is. And here's the thing, though. Paul is very aware that he's going into enemy territory. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you are very aware that the world around us is hostile to the church? Yes, we all know that. And here's the thing. In Paul's mind, he's thinking as a first-century Jewish person, he, he knows when he leaves the boundaries of, of Israel, like he is, he is subject, he is in the territory of, of higher powers that are not, like, you know, they don't have a good posture towards him. They just don't. And so he knows when he's praying that, like, hey, listen, guys, you know, I'm going out there and it's going to be hard, and I know it's going to be hard because I'm preaching a kingdom in the kingdom of somebody else. I'm preaching the kingdom of God in places where they, you know, the powers that be do not want that. And so in verse number, um, in verse number two here, in verse, yes, verse number two that we just read, Paul's keenly aware that he is subject to danger just because of the fact that he is spreading the kingdom of God. Now, this reminds me of something, and if it doesn't in your mind, you'll see where I'm going with it. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes his, uh, his famous gates of hell statement that the, the sorry, I don't, I, I can't control my fingers. I'm just like, mm, got to touch this thing. It's so awesome. Um, but, but Jesus makes his famous statement at the, at Mount, at the foot of Mount Hermon in uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Jesus makes the famous statement, Matthew 16, 21. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So this begs the question, what does Jesus mean when he says this? And there's a wide range of perspective on this. But for the purpose of our conversation, what I want to focus on is where, where Paul would have tracked with this, where Paul would have been encouraged by what Jesus said. So there's a little excerpt here from a book I've been reading. It's not in the slides, but I'll go ahead and read it for you. When Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, we often think of this phrase as though God's people are in a posture Oh, that's funny, that word's in there, I didn't even notice. A posture of having to bravely fend off Satan and his demons. This simply is not correct. Gates are defensive structures, not offensive weapons. And this is where it gets great. I read this and I was like, dude, this is so good. The kingdom of God is the aggressor. Jesus goes to ground zero in biblical demonic geography at Mount Hermon to announce that Bashan, the, which is a, geographically, it's, it's Satan's domain, will be defeated. It is the gates of hell that are under assault, and they will not hold up against the church. Listen, Paul knows that he has an enemy that he's against. He has an enemy that will stop at nothing to kill him and stop his mission, but guess what? He's not fighting a losing battle. Paul is not of the opinion that he needs prayer because the mission will be stopped. He just wants to keep going and get it done as fast as he can, right? We have an enemy, yes, but guess what? We're going to win. The war's over. It's done. That's part of the, that's part of the meaning of the Greek euangelion, which, mean, which we would translate to the gospel. It's, a, it's an announcement that, a, that somebody would herald into a city to say that the war is over. It's done. And as Paul goes into this area, these areas and preaches the gospel, he's announcing like, hey, guess what? The enemy's over, your God's lost, and I'm preaching a different kingdom. That's what he's doing. And so... As we continue here, that's, that's where Paul's mind is at. So, what is our, so what's your posture towards, what's your posture towards um, 
towards the spiritual as we continue. What's our posture towards um, our enemy, our situation, right? We should, Paul said we should always walk circumspectly. And, um, you know, but what are, what are our posture towards those things? So it was clear that Paul's hope was in the fact that Jesus was faithful. How is he secure in, the, in this claim? Well, we already talked about it. Paul's hope is in the scriptures. What are, what are some other things that Paul thought were, were worthy to talk about on the note of spiritual things that we should be, have a good, healthy posture towards? Paul said in verse 5, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness or continuing of Christ. Paul sets the tone with the highest standard of love and faithfulness. What can motivate us to continue on a path that isn't always a bed of roses? As Paul communicates to this church, and mind you with everything we've already talked about, he's communicating them and he's telling them to continue. He's telling them to keep going. And he's telling them this and he's like, consider this. He's like, if you're, if you're having a hard time with this, turn your hearts, turn your mind towards the person of Jesus. Turn your heart towards the love of God. God's love loves even those who have their face set against him. Jesus, as a steadfast one, was faithful and continued even to death. These are the examples that Paul is pointing them to when he says this. He's like, consider these things. Consider the fact that even though you weren't lovable, God loves you. Consider the fact that even though you may not deem yourself worth it, Jesus continued even to the death of the cross for you. He's like, this, he's like this, this person of Jesus is the emblem. He's the definition of steadfastness and love. And that's who we need to set our face upon when we're looking to model and emulate these things. So just to summarize, we want a healthy spiritual posture. How does that practically play out? What are some things that, that we can implement in our lives to, to, to make this thing happen? We can live on mission. We can be aware that, that we are in enemy territory. It shouldn't, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us when somebody look, gives us a weird look when we invite up to church. It, just, it shouldn't surprise us because that's like we're, you know, we're a, a hub in a, you know, in a community that doesn't know Jesus. It, it shouldn't come as a surprise. We should be aware that we are in enemy territory. We should be rooted in Jesus and strengthened by the scriptures. And we can only be strengthened by the scriptures if we know and read the scriptures. Be determined to continue. Listen, and this is, you know, and this is a message that we all can, can get behind. Think 2020, right? That's going to be like, that's going to be a word that comes up for the next five years. Like, y'all remember that? We made it through 2020. Like, we can get through anything at this point. But, but on, a, on a real note, like, continue. Like, yeah, life gets hard. You know, stuff gets, stuff gets weird. Things happen. But, but I want to encourage you to continue. Because the one who lives inside of us, the one who saved us, he encourages us to continue because he continued. And if he did it, we can do it because he lives in us. So be determined to continue. Now, I broke this up into two parts. We have healthy posture towards the spiritual. We talked about that. And the next part is, is I mean, they're both super practical, but, but this is like just, you know, I, I ate this up when I was studying this. But a, a healthy posture towards our brother. Now, how many of you know that there's sometimes friction in the church, volunteering or, or just attending? Like, stuff happens, you know. The coffee wasn't right. How dare, where's Kenny? There he is. <laughs> how, how dare Kenny put too much cream in my coffee? You know, I gotta, I'm going to deal with you later on. Um, but, 
there's no doubt, so as we read this, verses uh, 6 through 15, that's where we'll be, but, but as we read this, Paul, Paul really, like, he draws on the fact that, or when you read it, you can see that there was, there was issues, like Paul was addressing problems. And if he was addressing problems, that means that they existed. So I'll read, um, I'll read a couple verses here, uh, verse 6. Um, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our, or, sorry, 7, verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now, there's a lot that we can draw from that, but I want to hone in on just a, just a couple things here. Paul is very clear in this passage that he did not have to work his fingers to the bone night and day, but he did it anyway. Why? Because he knew that's what those at Thessalonica needed. And as I read that, I'm like, holy cow, like how many times, how many times am I in a position in my day-to-day to, to help somebody by perhaps modeling something a bit better than the bare minimum, and I just don't. Because I don't feel like, you know, like we'll, we'll, help, we'll do the bare minimum to help somebody out. And then they mess up and we're like, ah, you know what, I tried to help that person. I tried to help them, but I guess they didn't get it, so too bad, that's on them. Like, that's not, that's not at all the, the philosophy that Paul had. That's not at all how Paul thought about discipleship. He's like, listen, I made, my, I fit, I made myself purposefully uncomfortable so that I could teach you an example. I purposefully inconvenienced myself and made myself go through a hard time so you could see how I handled myself. Holy cow. Like, as we, as we unpack that, like, are we, are we willing to go to that degree for our brother? Are we willing to make ourselves uncomfortable to be what somebody else needs to see? And that, that's hard, coming from our society. And like, you know, like, I, I couldn't even, like, if you were to tell me, like, hey, look, how about you just drive to, drive to work without your heat on? Like, you know, show somebody else that you care. I'd be like, mm, I don't know about that. It's pretty cold outside. I'm not sure I'm willing to suffer to that extent. You know, but it, you know, it's just, uh, hey, never mind. I'm not going to make a Ford Ranger joke. Um, <laughs> it's for you. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, but to what extent are we willing to go to help our brother? I always, I'm sorry, I have to say it. I always knock on Pastor Matt because he drives a Nissan Frontier. I'm like, you just need to, and I, and look, I'm fully aware that a Ford Ranger is not the best truck in the world, even though it is. But I'm like, just need to get yourself a Ford Ranger, okay? And all your problems will go away. But I'll suffer for, I'll switch trucks with you. How about that? Okay. <laughs> um, but, but to what extent, to what extent are we willing to go for our brother? Because Paul was not concerned at all with himself over somebody else. He's like, listen, if I have to suffer to make sure somebody else gets the point, to make sure somebody else has what they need, even though I don't have to, I'm willing to do it. And by the way, that translates really well into our marriages. Are we willing to, to, to deprive ourselves of something that we feel like we're entitled to for the good of our spouse? Are we willing to suffer so that they can have? And that goes both ways. Babe, I hope you're listening. I see you back there. Um, so go, so go above, 
above necessary measures to set the right example for those around you. Um, the second thing on a practical level here uh, with friction is that Paul, Paul emphasizes in verses 11 and 12 here, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons, <laughs> yep, you get it. And like, yup, I know who that is. I know how to deal with those people. Um, for, for, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Eat your own food. Um, so I was, I was reading this and I was like, how do, I, how do I parse this out? Like, I don't really, like, what exactly does Paul mean when he says busybodies? Because, like, every definition that I came up with just didn't quite jive with the context here. And so I did some digging and I found some, some helpful uh, things here. So Paul uses an interesting wordplay in this passage. He, uh, the, the Greek, in the Greek here, the similarity of sound marks in the antithesis, doing none of their own business, yet overdoing in the business of others. Busy about everyone's business but their own. And then another one says... Uh, <laughs> Another one is, uh, is to bustle about a thing, here to be, uh, or, yeah, here to be officious in others' affairs. You get the gist of it, right? Paul's like, listen, stop being up in everybody's business, okay? And everybody's like, yes, preach on that a while. Stay out of my business. But, but here's the thing. So Paul's like, listen, don't be, don't be busybodies. But here's the, here's kind of, and this connects with my next point, but, you know, don't, if you're going to be in anybody's business, be up in your own business. You tracking with me? But, but, keep, but also, keep your head on a swivel here. So, verses 6 and 14, this is kind of where, like, these things kind of, they don't contradict, but they come together in, like, this weird way. Um, but verse 6, if we go back to the beginning of this segment, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Paul is encouraging them to distance themselves from those who are not adhering to the apostles' teaching or the teaching of Scripture. So he makes that statement, and then in verses, um, in verses 14 and 15, or 14, he says, uh, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. So Paul is like, okay, so stay out of other people's business, like, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do that, like, if you are doing that, here's what you should do. You should get a job, point one, so you don't have time to be in other people's business. And then you should quietly eat your, eat your, eat your food by yourself. So basically, you should be a hermit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no offense if anybody's name in here is hermit. Um, so, but that kind of connects here with uh, verses 6 and verses four, 14. Who we surround ourselves with really matters. And statistically speaking, from, from today, you are or will be the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. And if you're a, you know, <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a couple and you got three kids, well, you're just a, you're just a mess of your whole household there. Um, <laughs> um, but, but who we surround ourselves with matters. And so, but, this, but what this doesn't mean is that we should shun people. Right? If, you're, if, you, if you've come in contact with someone with COVID, just kidding, with someone who's a busybody, right, you should, like, you should deal with that. But that doesn't mean that we should shun them. Now, in the first century, 
the audience that Paul is speaking to here, they're, they're coming from an honor-shame culture system. And what that means is essentially, your honor is your social credit score. Now, if you have a bad social credit score in this environment, guess what? You're broke. Like, if you have no honor, you have no money. Like, that's, that's how this works. And so Paul is saying, use social pressure to keep people like, like, keep people like that, you know, in line. What I'm not telling you is that you should shun people and then you should social, socially pressure them to come to church. Like, don't, next step, do not blackmail somebody to come to church. Like, this will keep you in line. I'm going to show everybody this picture I took of you five years ago. Uh-huh. You know, and yeah, so don't, don't do that. That's not what he's getting at. But, but in our context, so it's, it's, we're not shaming people, right? And that's not how our culture works. But in our context, I think the most practical way for this to play out is to keep distance between yourself and those who you know impair your growth as a, as a Jesus follower. Now, that's extremely difficult when you consider the fact that for a lot of us, those people are in our own family. That's, that's a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of us, that the people that we love, the people that, that we like to be around, that we spend our holidays with, like it's a, you know, it's almost, and I used the illustration this morning, like after you get done hanging out with them and, and doing your thing and you kind of, if you're, unless you're not like me, you kind of like, you gel with them for a while and you become the person that you really don't want to be. You guys tracking with that? Am I the only one? But after, you know, after you're done, you're like, man, I really, you know, I really, uh, I really messed up. Like I, I strive to show Jesus in all situations and I, I didn't do it then. Like that's hard. Like you, it's the same feeling like after you eat five McDoubles and a 20 piece nugget and you're like, that was really fun when I did that. But now I feel gross. And I speak from experience. <laughs> so don't, you know, but, but that's, but it's a very similar feeling where you're like, you know, I kind of just, that, that doesn't feel right. I regret that. But, so what, <laughs> I'm laughing because I did it last night, okay? Um, and my wife will testify to that. We did. It was, a, it was a long day. I was here, got some leaves blown on the property, and I was like, you know what? Let's go get some McDubbies. Oh, yeah. It's, it's that time of day. So, you know, so it was good. Um, <laughs> but at, look, listen, sidebar, just sidebar. It, it's the perfect burger, okay? The condiment ratio, like the, the amount of cheese, like it's, it's perfect. You just, you, you, you don't get much better. And for me, I'm a terrible griller, so I cannot make something better. So it's my next stop. It's a mile up the street from my house. What do you want me to do? So, anyway, I feel attacked right now. Anybody else feel attacked? No? Okay. But anyway, so, where, where was I even going with that? Um, but anyway, so, but, but try, to keep a, try to keep a healthy distance from, from people who you know don't help you follow Jesus better. That's just the practical point. And that's hard because, like I said, it's, it's always people that are close to us. We don't have a problem staying away from people we don't like, Right? It's always people that are close to us that make us, you know, it, it's hard. So, but try to, don't shun them. Like, you know, where's, where's somebody that I'd like to shun? Kenny, I'm going to pick on you. Kenny, shunned. You don't exist anymore. We're done here. Don't do that, okay? But keep a healthy distance. Be kind. Like, don't be unkind, but just, but just keep a healthy distance. So, postures. We're talking postures, Kenny. Um, keep your head on a swivel. Watch who you surround yourself with. And, um, you know. Paul, so Paul doesn't leave it there, though. After issuing stern warnings of how to deal with those in the body that have created friction, 
Paul drops the truth bomb of a lifetime. I touched the mic again. Mm. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, Paul drops the truth bomb of a lifetime. Verse 15, Paul says this, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish or warn him as a brother. So among all of the, all of the friction, all of the controversy, all of the fill-in-the-blank that's bound to happen as we do life together, as a church, as we serve together, and as we have more volunteers around here, there's going to be more problems because we're working together. How many of you like coming here because you're not around your coworkers that you don't like? Well, guess what? When you volunteer, you got coworkers that you don't like. So, you know, doesn't always get, I'm just kidding. It, I, love, I love who I volunteer with. And I can say that because Stephanie's in the front row. So, I love my volunteers so much. And Shanna, Shanna, who else volunteers with me? They're probably all downstairs where I should be. Um, anyway, so, but as we volunteer, as we grow, like as we're, as we're with each other more, like understand that we're going to have more friction, we're going to have more problems, and we can't change that. We can't change the fact that there will be problems. And if you're like me, I'm an Enneagram 9, I like to avoid problems, that's, that's what I do best, really well, actually, um, because I like to maintain an inner, inner peace. And I'm like, there's no problem here. There's no problems, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, I go to the hospital with a broken arm, like, I, I don't even know why I'm here right now. There's no, I'm fine. There's no problem here. Um, but that's, that's not the way that Paul would encourage us to deal with these problems. So Paul is never, ever for kicking somebody to the curb arbitrarily. Like, that's not what Paul is about at all. Paul's never about confronting somebody just for the sake of confronting somebody and being rude. That's not what Paul's about. I just had to get that off my chest. No, you didn't. You didn't have to get that off your chest or at least in that way. But Paul's goal is always restoration. Always, always, always. With conflict resolution, Paul shoots for restoration because that's the ultimate goal. Paul's goal was unity and the church. And how do we become more unified as a church? We become spiritually aware, right? We keep a good spiritual posture. We love each other. We love our brothers. And even when our brothers are busybodies who are all up in our business, we confront them, but we do it nicely, and we do it with the goal of restoration in mind. We don't do it just to do it. That's not what Paul was about. And so, if we want a healthy posture towards our brother, a couple, couple things to take away. We have to be willing to go the extra mile. We just have to. We have to be willing to go above and beyond to run the extra, and I'm not, listen, I'm not running an extra mile for you, but I will metaphorically go an extra mile for you, okay? We already talked about what I had for dinner last night. I ain't running nowhere, okay? So go the extra mile. Be aware that friction is inevitable. It will happen. And if it isn't happening, that's because there's a bunch of people like me in the church who just ignore everything bad that's going on, and we deny that there's problems. If you're going to be all up in someone's business, which... A certain point, all of us like to do, right? Make sure it's your business that you're all you're all up in. <laughs> I'm trying to talk like I'm cool, like all up in your. I, I don't, you know. I can't even. I can't even fake like I'm like that. I just can't. Um, so if you're going to be in somebody's business, make sure it's your own. Um, and finally, on that note, make restoration the priority in all conflict resolution, because we're going to have problems. And there's a lot of us here, like there's going to be, you may have a lot of problems with a lot of people at the same time, but we should address those problems quickly, and we should address those problems in a Christ-like manner that leads to restoration. That's the way Paul had in mind for the church to solve problems. 
So, with those things in mind, as we, as we took in all of that, and listen, this is just a brief survey of, of the, the latter part of Paul's letter. If you go back and read it, you'll find that there's tons of stuff in here that I missed, um, but I just tried to keep this, what time are we, whew, I'm over by four minutes, cool. Um, but, but go back and read this for yourself. Go back and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and you'll be amazed that the just, I mean, it's, it's, it's very evident that it's the Word of God. There's so much in there. Um, go back and read that for yourself. But as we close, how's your posture this morning? How's, how are we, like, how are we doing? Do we have a good posture towards our brother? Do we have a good posture towards the spiritual? How are we doing? Do we have a posture towards anything? Where are we this morning? And so I'll close with this as the music starts to play. Do not grow weary of doing good. If good, uh, (laughs) sorry, just got caught off guard. Um, Do not grow weary of doing good as the music continues to play.